we live in a distracted world. This morning, I had this, not this morning, this last week, I had an opportunity to really see that front and center of how distracted we really are. I was in a meeting along 26th Street over in First Christian Reformed Church. It's kind of right next to McDonald's there. And uh, right kind of as you get past, I'm trying to think of the names of the streets here, um, you're heading towards Sycamore. You know where I'm at, right? Across from Cherry Creek Grill around that area. So I was in a meeting in the pastor's office there, and this pastor has got a really nice office. Uh, second floor, and then a bunch of windows, and you're right along 26th Street there. So I'm just sitting there and watching as the traffic goes by, watching as the traffic goes by on 26th Street there, you find out really quick there's very few people paying attention as they're driving. And so as we're watching, I'm just going, oh my goodness. And so I asked him, I was like, how often do you see fender benders here? And he's just like, every single day, see at least one fender bender here on 26th Street. And I said, well, what kind of things do you see? He's like, anything and everything that you can think of. It's not just texting, but it's preparing breakfast. Now, this is what, not eating breakfast, preparing breakfast, taking the jar of peanut butter with you into the car, and then putting it onto the bagel as you're driving. Okay, if you're guilty of that this morning, you need to confess. Okay, preparing breakfast, shaving, we're probably all familiar with that one, putting makeup on, (laughs) not guilty at all, texting, talking on the phone, now, this next one kind of caught me as well, and I was impressed that the person was able to see to this level of precision. Not putting makeup on or shaving, but taking care of nose hairs. I'm just sir, I'm trying to figure out how that's even done in the vehicle. Okay, there's a lot of distracted driving going on. Do you know who pays for that distracted driving? I do. Because I have to drive that route every single day taking my children to daycare. You know what happens when the road gets backed up? i got to listen to crying kids in the back seat wanting to get to daycare for breakfast. So stop being so distracted. Distraction is a problem in our world, but it's not just a problem in our driving. We've got distraction all around us. We have something bad happen in our lives, and we quickly try and move on to the next thing so that we can forget the bad thing that happened, when in reality that bad thing just kind of lingers with us. We have so much distraction in our lives that we have individuals within our community and around our country that take their own lives. And they take their own lives when there's people that are in close proximity to them. But the people in close proximity to them can't recognize the difficulty that these individuals are going through because they're so distracted with all of the other burdens of life. I know myself, I get distracted easily. Anybody ever gone to check your email on the internet, and next thing you know, you just lost 35 minutes of your day reading some weird article about some giraffe in some foreign land that whatever? I mean, just boom, you're done down a rabbit trail. We live in a distracted world. In the midst of this distracted world, it can become difficult to focus on what matters. And it can become difficult to practice one of the disciplines, one of the gifts that God gave to us. God actually gave us a gift, gave human beings a gift 
to put our focus in one place for a period of time because God knows the human condition. God knows how we're, we're going to spread in a variety of places. And so then God gave us this discipline called fasting. Fasting is something that's probably foreign to the majority of us. It's not practiced by a lot of Christians on a very frequent basis. Fasting is something a little bit unique in that it's practiced by the majority of religions all around the world. It's something that a lot of religions have in common. The practice of fasting, but the purpose of fasting is vastly different between religions. And this is where I want to spend a few moments this morning in helping us set the framework of how we should talk about fasting and why we should fast. See, a lot of religions promote fasting and not just promote it, but they mandate it. You have to fast during this window of time or this frequency. Why? Because you do those things to meet the needs or check a list off to what? Appease a God, appease a creator. And so it's mandated that you do that because that's what? That's how you stay in good standing with your God, is by going through those religious practices. Christian fasting is completely different. First, it's not mandated anywhere. And secondly, the purpose of it is totally different. It's not to stay in good standing with your God. So, when we look this morning, we try to understand this issue of fasting. We have to begin by understanding our relationship with God. And I just want to provide this morning a quick little overview of the whole Bible. So the whole Bible in like three minutes. And that will help us lay the foundation for why we should fast. God created the whole universe, the Bible tells us, and gives us kind of a couple different stories of, of how that took place. And, and after God created the universe, there was human beings, obviously. And after a period of time, God reached down to a specific human being. You've probably heard the name Abraham. At the time, God reached down to this man named Abram and then gave him the name Abraham. But in Genesis chapter 12, we have God reaching down to Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, God reaches down to Abram and says, Abram, you are mine. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now, this is critical to see. Abram did not reach out to God. God reached out to Abram. God said to Abram, you're mine, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And so then a couple of chapters later, as after God has laid the, the groundwork with Abraham, you could say, he says to Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Now this word covenant comes up throughout the whole Bible. I'm going to very simple terms this morning. Covenant simply means this, to be in relationship. So if I enter into a covenant with someone, I'm entering into a mutual agreement to be in relationship together. So God reaches out to Abraham and says, I'm going to establish a covenant with you. And Abraham says, well, God, I don't have any descendants. I can't have any kids. It's not going to matter anyhow. And then God says, no, 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 Abraham, you're going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. You're going to have more descendants than you can even count. And it's like, well, how's that going to work? Well, then the rest of the Old Testament enters into this story of God has chosen this person, Abraham, that turns into the nation Israel. And then through the nation Israel comes a Messiah named Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2, as we're preparing for the birth of Jesus, someone is told that this baby is going to be a light for the Gentiles. 
In other words, that this Messiah who's coming is going to take now the nation of Israel and is going to expand it. That it's no longer going to be for those who are born into the Jewish world, but it's going to be for all people. And that's going to come through the person of Jesus Christ, for he's a light to the Gentiles. So God started a relationship with Abraham, built a nation named Israel, and then through that nation brought, a, brought this person named Jesus, our Messiah, who then what? Takes the covenant to all people. This is where it gets important, and we're going to kind of push the pause button for a moment. As God extends the covenant out beyond Abraham and the nation Israel, he does it through the person of Jesus Christ. And so that the covenant is established through something different than it was previously established through. So in the Old Testament, God had set up the sacrificial system and then gave him his law. And the covenant was established through the system that God had set up. But then when God now enters in through the person of Jesus Christ, a covenant with all of humanity is established once and for all through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so now, to put it in simple terms, God called Abraham into a relationship. Now God calls you and I into a relationship, and that relationship is established through the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you've been in church very often, you've probably heard the words as we prepare for communion. This is my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then that phrase, some of the phrase that sometimes we leave out is, this is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is saying there that he's establishing a new relationship with humanity through his blood. In other words, he's saying this. You have a relationship with God through my work. I'm establishing the relationship. Nothing you do can establish the relationship. This is what makes Christianity completely unique from all other religions, is Jesus says this, I'm going to do it, it's done. Therefore, Christianity is not due, it is done, because Jesus has already done it. So let's clarify all of this. God started a relationship with Abraham, built the nation Israel. Through the nation Israel, he brought the person, Jesus Christ, who then established a relationship with all of humanity through his blood, through his death on the cross. Before we even start talking about fasting, the logistics, the why and the how, we have to understand this. Our relationship with God is built upon not our religious activity, but it's built upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we go and we participate in these different spiritual disciplines like prayer, like fasting. We do it from a place of security. I'm not fasting to gain God's approval. I already have God's approval. I'm not fasting to gain God's attention. I've already got God's attention. And this is a misnomer. A lot of people think, hey, we just got to get a lot of people fasting so we can get God's attention or we can earn God's favor. Guess what? You can't get any more of God's favor. There's no more to be given. You already have his son, Jesus Christ, who's died for you. And so your relationship with God is secure through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so before we move any further this morning of talking about this discipline of fasting, we need to stop and say, God, thank you for establishing a relationship with us. We're going to stop right now before even going further in the sermon, and we're going to just take communion right now. 
Because we take communion right now, it reminds us of the foundation that we stand on. It reminds us that God has established a relationship with us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Communion serves as a gift from God. God chose simple, everyday things, bread, wine, to remind us and to meet us in these common things to say, hey, remember, I established the covenant with you. Remember, I started the relationship. You're in relationship because of what I have done. And so Jesus establishes this new covenant when he gathers together with his followers. And as he gathers together with his followers after supper, he takes bread and he breaks it and he says, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, Jesus takes the cup and he says, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins for the whole world. Do this in remembrance of me. This morning, I invite you to come forward and to receive communion and to be reminded of the relationship that God has established with you through the blood of His Son, Jesus the Christ. And so as we prepare this morning to come and receive this gift, let's take a moment right now and go to God in prayer, asking that He'd renew our hearts and our understanding. Let us pray. Gracious and everlasting God, we acknowledge that we have fallen short of Your glory. Very simply, God, we've done wrong. And so we come before You now asking that You would cleanse us and that You'd restore us to relationship. We acknowledge that we cannot initiate a relationship with You. We acknowledge that we cannot, by our own good, come into relationship with You. But we acknowledge, O Lord, that it's on the basis of the blood of your Son, Jesus the Christ. And so, God, we ask now this morning that you would nurture our souls, that you would nourish our spirits as we take this bread, as we take this juice. We pray, O Lord, that you'd meet us here, that you'd refresh us and renew us in our relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is good news. This is the best news in the universe, that God has established a covenant with us, that he has reached out to us, and that he has made it possible for us to be in relationship with him. Are are we all clear here? Our relationship to God is established through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Your ethnic heritage did not do it. Your religious work or activity didn't do it. The blood of Christ sealed the relationship. And so now we have a relationship with the creator of the universe. Well, let's just stop right there for a moment. How weird is that? Okay, let's just be honest. That's a little odd. It's a little odd to say what you see is not all there is. That's what we're saying. We're saying that there's more to this life than what you see, what you touch, what you smell, There's a whole other dimension to this life. That whole other dimension is a relationship with our Father, who is the creator of the universe. So open your Bible back to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is talking about that dimension and laying out a teaching for how to enter into it. In Matthew 6, Jesus is kind of reminding his disciples, saying, hey, you're probably seeing this go on amongst some religious people and a tendency to do this, but, but here, do this instead. So he says, hey, 
amongst religious people, what you see is this. They look gloomy, and they disfigure their faces. Why? So that other people know that they're fasting. So in other words, Jesus is seeing the normal religious way to do this is what? Make sure others know that you are not having any food. Because then, when you accomplish that, what happens? You get exactly what you want. You're seen by others. That's why Jesus says here, you might be a little confused, he says this in uh, Matthew 6. He says, I say to you, they have received their reward. Well, why does he say they've received their reward if they're doing it wrong? Because the reward they wanted was the praise of other people. And what did they get? The praise of other people. But Jesus is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. Fasting is not for the praise of other people. Fasting is what? To enter in with your Father who is in secret. This is where it gets a little weird. Enter in to the unseen. Because in the unseen, that's where your reward lies. Well, what is fasting? Fasting is very simple. It is abstaining from food for a certain length of time, food or water for a certain length of time for a spiritual benefit. Abstaining from food or water for a length of time for a spiritual benefit. Very simple. Fasting, according to the Bible, is, is removing yourself from that normal routine of eating or drinking so that you can have a spiritual benefit. Now, why do people fast? Let's just do a quick history of where fasting even came from. In the Old Testament, fasting started with what was called the Day of Atonement was a reminder of the blood sacrifice that had to be made in the temple and all of that in order to have the relationship with God and Israel. And so there was fasting on the Day of Atonement. Then after the fasting on the Day of Atonement, when Israel came back from being in captivity, further along in the Old Testament, there was four other fasts established throughout the year. And so then you had four fasts, plus you had the Day of Atonement fast. And then when Jesus came along during Jesus' day, the way in which fasting was being practiced is the Pharisees and the religious leaders were fasting two days a week. So you might read in the gospel sometime and it says, there's a Pharisee who will say something like, and I fast twice a week. So it's common for the Pharisees and the religious leaders to fast twice a week or other religious people. So they fasted on certain holidays and then some of them made a routine of fasting as well. Well, why fast then? Well, fasting in the Old Testament, and also as we see now in the New Testament, was really called upon as a response to big events. So, what are some of those big events? The main thing that God calls fasting for is repentance. What that means is this. God sends a prophet to his people and says, hey, you've done a bunch of wrong. It's time for you to return to your right ways. It's time for you to return to the Lord. And during that, you'd probably... Probably a familiar language going through your mind of prophets who say what? Grab your sackcloth, sackcloth and your ash and enter into a time of fasting. Prophets would call for a time of fasting. What? In response to a call for repentance. So a season of focus saying, God, we've done wrong. God, turn our hearts right now. Make us aware of those wrong things that we need to turn from. So repentance was one of them. A second reason for fasting that's probably the most common today is to fast for God's guidance. So this is seen in the Old Testament as well. A decision has to be made. So God's people would call a solemn assembly and to fast. 
God's people basically come together and pray, sing, read what would have been for them the Old Testament scrolls. And then they would have been fasting, seeking God's guidance for whatever decision they were facing. We see this exact same thing in the New Testament. So in Acts chapter 13, Jesus is already in heaven. He's ascended. In Acts 13, the church is starting to spread. And what do the apostles do? It says that they gathered together and fasted and prayed. And after fasting and prayer, they sent out certain individuals to certain parts. So they were discerning God on on where to go or what to do. And they fasted as that was a reason for it. So repentance, God's, God's guidance. Another reason to fast was deliverance. Now this might be, this is totally uncommon to you and I. But there was times in which the nation of Israel was either held in captivity or there was trouble coming. And so they'd call an Again, a solemn assembly, a fast saying, God, our army can't stand up to the one that's coming. Do something. So again, they would fast for deliverance. This fourth reason to fast is is one that's unpracticed, but actually could be one of the healthiest options. And that's a fast to express grief. So again, something terrible happens. God's people would call a solemn assembly. And say we need to take 24 hours or 12 hours. And we simply need to express our grief to God. And that would sometimes come in the form of a lament. So you see that? A psalm sometimes is a lament where you're just crying out to God saying, God, why did you do this? God, why did you allow this? Why did you allow that? Basically yelling at God, arguing with God. A lot of times that was done during a fast for grieving. You're basically taking 12 hours. I'm putting it really simple here. You're taking 12 hours and you're just putting it all out there. You're just getting it off your chest, saying, God, this is what I'm thinking. This is how I'm feeling towards you right now. Here's where I'm at. So a fast to express grief. There's also a fast to pursue specific work of God. So, for example, throughout the New Testament, maybe there's a, the Apostle Paul is building a church over here, let's say. Other people throughout the rest of Christendom would fast on behalf of what Paul is doing. So they'd say, hey, Paul's facing problems in Ephesus right now. We need to fast over here in Jerusalem to bring requests on his behalf of the challenges that they're facing. So another reason to potentially fast. A variety of reasons to fast, but the main thing was this. It was a response to something going on, a big event. So why should you and I fast today? Well, first we should fast because... Jesus wants us to fast. Now you might say to yourself, whoa, slow down here, pastor. Nowhere is there a command to fast. You're right. Nowhere is there a command to fast. But look with me back here to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 17. Jesus says, but when you fast. Okay. Jesus is assuming that his followers are going to fast. This this wasn't a question of like, well, should we continue fasting or shouldn't we continue fasting, Jesus? This was just assumed. Jesus says, not if you fast, but when you fast. There's multiple other spots where Jesus speaks in the exact same language. He's challenged one time by the religious people saying, hey, the Pharisees are fasting, but your followers aren't fasting. What's up with that? And Jesus says to them, hey, I'm here right now, so they don't need to fast. I'm right here with them. They have my full presence here. But when the bridegroom leaves, guess what's going to happen? My people are going to fast. 
It's not commanded because it's assumed that God's people are going to take focused times to what? Set aside natural desires and orient those desires on God and say, God, you are mine. So we should fast first and foremost because God put it in place. God asks his people to practice it. Jesus assumes it. And we see the example through the New Testament that the early followers and the early apostles adopted the tradition, adopted the practices. But again, let's take a moment and remind ourselves. This is a tradition. This is a practice. It's not done to earn God's favor. It's simply done to focus on God. So here's where fasting is a little bit unique in Christendom. Fasting does not change God's hearing. Fasting does not change God's hearing. Well, if it doesn't change his hearing, what's the, what's the point then? Well, it changes our praying. It changes our listening. It awakens us to things that our hearts are attached to that maybe they shouldn't be attached to. And, and let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Why does fasting not change God's hearing? Because God's hearing is not dependent upon repetition. It's not dependent upon us. God's hearing is dependent upon one thing, the name of Jesus. So Jesus teaches his followers right before he's about to depart. He says, hey, go to God the Father, what? In Jesus' name. That wasn't Jesus just like, hey, I think we've got to get a little tagline to throw on church prayers at the end. No, this is Jesus saying, hey, you have access to God the Father now through me. And that access is not determined by your goodness. That access is not determined by your traditions. That access is determined by what? Claiming the name of Jesus. You know, sometimes when you want to talk with someone, you drop a name. You're like, hey, I know so-and-so, and they thought you and I should talk about this hoping that what? Dropping the name gets you access. Jesus is saying this, hey, my name gets you access. So it's not our fasting, it's not the amount of our religious activity that gets God to hear us. What gets God to hear us is this, his son's name, that we're asking in the name of the one he sent to save us. And so fasting does not change God's hearing. It changes our praying, our focus, and our attention. So how long should I fast for? Well, traditionally, fasting usually happened from supper or dinner, however you, you city folk call it dinner, um, from supper and through lunch of the next day, dinner. You know how, what I'm saying here. 5 p.m. basically to 5 p.m. the next day would have been a traditional fast. That would have been a traditional 24-hour fast. Or they had a 12-hour fast that would start after breakfast. So there's two kind of traditional methods. The main thing is this. There's no law. There's no rule that says you have to fast for 16.5 hours on the third Monday of the third month every year. No, no, no. That's not there. Again, that would change the dynamics. You can fast for whatever length you deem appropriate, you can do a partial fast. We see this in the Old Testament once or twice where they maybe fast from meat and they only eat vegetables. I think we should just leave that in the Old Testament, but that's just me. 
You can, you can fast, do a partial fast of, of certain things, of just water or food, whatever it might be. There's no rules and regulations, again. But the point is this. Fasting is abstaining from food or water. Okay, giving up TV is not fasting. There's nothing wrong with giving up TV. But let's call it what it is, abstaining from TV. Fasting is giving up food or drink so that your physical body, your being, has this extra focus and you're you're training it to focus on what? Where true life comes from, the creator of the universe. So it can be for any length of time you deem appropriate. It can be a partial or a full fast. So if you're going to fast, what should you do? Two things. Two things I want you to think about doing if you're going to do a fast. The first is this. Identify the reason for your fast. Identify the reason for your fast. What I mean by that is this. is Again, people in the Bible fasted for a reason. There was an event or something going on. They, they needed some extra time to focus on their sin, time of confession and repentance. There was a decision that they had to make. There was some grieving that needed to be expressed. Identify your reason. And there's always, there's always stuff going on, right? So if you're like, eh, I got nothing going on. Well, I can give you a couple of things. There's some missionaries right now over in the Middle East that are trying to plant churches in Syria. Not going so well. So what could you do? You could fast and use that directed time to pray on their behalf. But each of us also have big events in our own lives. We've got some grief that maybe we we should express during a fast. We've got some personal wrongdoing or rebellion that we need to get identified and confessed. You can do that during a fast. So number one, identify a reason to fast. Because again, we're not just fasting for the sake of fasting. God's not like, make sure you fast once a week to stay faithful. No, that's again, missing the whole point then. Identify a reason. Second thing is this, go into the fast with a plan. Don't be like, hey, I'm going to give up lunch tomorrow. And then you get to lunch and you're just sitting there the whole time. I'm starving. And you're just watching all of your coworkers walk by with that McDonald's bag. Like, oh, please give me some of that. Okay, go in with a plan. So, for example, get an order of worship for yourself that you can participate in during that time of fast. Go in with a plan of I'm going to read this and then I'm going to pray about this and then I'm going to do some journaling or something. Go in with a plan. Otherwise, guess what? Your whole focus is what? Avoiding food. Rather than putting your focus where it belongs, on God. So identify a reason for a fast, and then go in with a plan. And then finally, if there are health concerns, speak with a doctor. Okay, I have a master of divinity. I do not have a master of, what do you call it, doctoral work? Or I don't know, whatever, medical stuff. If you have a medical situation with food and you can't go without something for a while, hey, don't do it. Okay, this is not authority to go without food for 24 hours and then spend two days in the hospital and be like, my pastor told me to. It's not going to go well with Blue Cross Blue Shield. Okay, so if you have some dietary restrictions, talk to your doctor and just say, hey, you know what? I believe it would be healthy for me spiritually. I believe it would be faithful for me to be able to participate in a fast once in a while. How would you recommend doing that? Okay, our bodies are complex. But have that conversation. That's something just very simple and practical. So, identify a reason for a fast, 
and then come up with a plan of how you're go- what you're going to do during that fast. The Bible is filled with stories of individuals who were chosen by God to be in relationship with God. And now you and I fall in that storyline of the Bible, of people who have been chosen by God to be in relationship with God. That's why when you read the Psalms, there's one theme over and over. That theme is this, a yearning for God. So Psalm 23, the most famous psalm of ever, even people that don't believe in God want it read at their funerals. Psalm 23 has got one grand focus, to be in the house of the Lord forever. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Okay, the whole focus is what? The presence of God. God being with us, and then what? Being with God for eternity. And then Psalm 63, verse 1, the psalmist just cries out and says, Oh God, my God, I long for you. I'm not satisfied until I'm with you. It's because the psalmist recognizes that our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. The theme of the Bible is God building relationship with people through Jesus Christ and those people yearning for the presence of God, for that's our eternal destination. And so fasting provides an opportunity for us to nurture that yearning, to say with our whole being, I want God above all else. So will you take advantage of this opportunity? If you want to have all that God has for you, it would make sense then that we've got to practice some things that God has put in place. And one of those things He's put in place is this gift of fasting, of going without for the purpose of focusing on Him. Pastor John Piper has said it best, I think. He's kind of reinvigorated a lot of energy around fasting, around pursuing God for all that he is. Pastor John Piper said this, fasting is not a replacement for faith in Jesus. It is a servant of faith in Jesus. Fasting serves as a tool to nurture our faith, to to push us in a direction of trusting Jesus further. Fasting is a way of saying with our stomach and our whole body how much we need and want and trust Jesus. It is a way of saying that we are not going to be enslaved by food as the source of our satisfaction. Maybe food isn't the source of your satisfaction today. The question is, is God the source of your satisfaction today? We will not be satisfied until God is the source of our satisfaction. And we can pursue God through different gifts, one of those gifts being fasting. And so I invite you, try something new, identify a reason, make a plan, and pursue God. Because God has first pursued you and established a relationship with you through the blood of His Son, Jesus the Christ. The covenant has been established. Are we going to take advantage of this relationship. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we want you. God, you are our gift. We want to be in your presence. We want you to walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We want you, O Lord, 
to be with us in the midst of the fire. We want to be in your presence. We want to experience your presence. And so, Lord, give us a hunger. Give us a desire to know you. And, Lord, I pray now that you would discipline our hearts and our minds to enter into this practice of fasting for the purpose of being built up and encouraged. Lord, thank you for your patience with us as we learn these things and as we seek to put them into practice. God, we acknowledge once again that we come to you not on the basis of our good works, not on the basis of our religious tradition, but we come to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. We ask in the name of Jesus now that you would move upon our hearts to sing hallelujah, that you would move upon our hearts to declare your greatness forever, for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.